my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. Our guest today is Paul Bogard, who's the author of The End of Night, Searching for Natural Darkness in an Age of Artificial Light. Paul was born and raised in northern Minnesota, and he is currently assistant professor of English at James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia, where he teaches creative nonfiction and environmental literature. It's a very interesting show because we look at a lot of areas around artificial light, both in kind of the context of our smartphones, our street lights, and Paul uh, raises a lot of uh, ideas and questions about our assumptions about artificial light, uh, whether it actually uh, prevents crime in certain areas, what it means uh, to allow us to be awake later in the day, and yeah, it's a very interesting conversation. I'd also like to uh, talk about our media sponsor, MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can go to their website at www.minnpost.com. That's MinPost. We also have four more shows uh, for the rest of our fall season, featuring uh, shows on October 10, 17, 24, and 31. With 10th, it's a show about building our way out of racial disparities. On the 17th, it's the economics of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the big trade deal that's been worked on for several years. On the 24th, we talk the economics of art. And on the 31st, we are talking with Ilhan Omar, the DFL candidate for Minnesota House in District 60B. We'd love to see you at these shows and hope that... Uh, if you aren't able to make it there, you keep listening to the podcast. And if you like it, go to iTunes, where you can fill out a review. And that helps other people find out about it, and it does make a difference. Um, that's all the notes that I have. I hope you enjoy listening to the show. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, so uh, I, so it's, I'm very ex excited to have you here. Uh, and there's a lot to talk about. And all day, not to my surprise... Uh, but people have been saying, "Oh, I really am. I'm passionate about like streetlights, and I have <laughs> I have something to say." Uh, so I'm very, and so I, we're going to come to the audience for uh, questions in the second half of the show. Mm -hmm. But uh, I wanted to just, I mean, not to start off too aggressively, but why do you hate modern society? <laughs> uh, that wasn't in the script, right? Um, <laughs> No, I, I think that uh, nobody's talking about not having light at night. I mean, we're going to have light at night. Uh, artificial light is a great thing. We all want that. The question is really how much will we have and how will we use it? And right now we're just using way more than we need, and we're using it in ways that are harmful. All right. Uh, so let's, uh, let's kind of start back at the beginning. So give us just a sense of... Uh, when in your when you're looking at sort of the history of this, did people start to say, "Oh, this is a this is a problem"? Like it's not just great that we you know have light and that we can stay up past 7 p.m. even in St. Paul. <laughs> you know, it, it's a good question because it's um, it's a very recent phenomenon that people have been concerned about it, and that's part of what makes it a, a difficult situation to get your hand around or your policy around. Um, a lot of people aren't even aware that this is an issue. And so if you're, let's say, under 40 years old, you may not have ever experienced real night or living in a place where you can see the Milky Way overhead, for example. Um, so that's, that's the first thing that I often talk about when I'm with people is just like, 
are you aware that this is a problem that exists? And then we go from there. Well, uh, and talk to us a little bit about why is this a problem? And, and one of the things we were talking about backstage and, and you write about is that there's a difference between sort of dark and night, mm -hmm. that, that there's something different there. So I, you know, I'm a public policy graduate. The question <laughs> would be, what's the problem? What's so bad? Right. Well, uh, sir, the, the problem is that we don't experience natural darkness anymore. So there's, uh, for example, there's a, some people will know probably a scale called the Bortle scale. It's um, from nine to one, our brightest places down to our darkest places, nine being bright places, one being our dark places. Uh, there are, it's, it's debatable whether there are even any level one darknesses left in the continental US. So even out west, you're gonna see light in the sky or on the horizon. And when you get into our cities, then you're talking level eight, nine, that kind of thing. Most Americans live most of their lives on level five and above. We just rarely or never experience real natural darkness. What? Uh, so level? So what? Level one would be? Uh, I don't. I mean, like I. Yeah, I don't know. What would that before artificial light? Just kind of a natural night. And so you're saying that most of us, uh, particularly if we live in a city, are living mm -hmm. in a time where even if all the lights are shut off or whatnot, yeah. uh, it's it's a five. Yeah. In fact. Uh, a lot of, I, I'm forgetting the exact number right now, but the, uh, a lot of folks in Western Europe and the U.S. never switch over to night vision. Our light, Wait, our we have night vision? <laughs> you know, Why did no one can, tell me that I had this? Because <laughs> you're not in dark, a dark enough place, right? If you're Are we cat people? What if is that? <laughs> if you're out in the woods uh, and you, we actually, our eyes can adjust not as good as nocturnal animals, of course, but we're, we can see better than we see, but we just never have that chance to do that in the city. It's it's too bright all the time. Our eyes never adjust. And so you grew up in, in northern Minnesota, you said, so even when you, you head up to sort of northern Minnesota, uh, you know, you're, you like canoe out into the boundary waters for, you know, six hours, and, and even then you're you still got more light than, than normal. Or than darkness, or than yeah, the Boundary Waters is a good example where it's probably a level <coughs> two. So it, it is very dark. It's still very beautiful, but sometimes you can see the lights from the casinos in the distance, or from Duluth. Maybe it depends on where you are, um, or there's light in the sky. So yeah. Uh, and so let's talk a little bit more about. So what's the big deal? I mean, yeah, maybe it would be nice uh, to to see darkness uh, sometimes, but I mean. You know, trade-offs as they are. I mean, why why is that a why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal for a lot of reasons. Uh, the one that probably gets the most attention is the uh, impact to human health. Um, new studies are showing that we're impacted by artificial exposure to artificial light at night. Uh, it impacts our sleep and contributes to sleep disorders. It um, uh, disrupts our circadian rhythms. And the one that is really getting a lot of attention is uh, that it, it, it impedes the production of melatonin in our body. And that's been linked to an increased risk for breast and prostate cancer. So you have uh, organizations like uh, the World Health Organization that comes out now and says that working the night shift is uh, a probable carcinogen, same as breathing diesel fumes, kind of on Wait, that level. Wait, working a night shift is the same as breathing, like is like standing at a tailpipe? Yeah, that's what they say. It's in the same level if you're doing it you know, night after night after night for a certain length of time. so And then the American Medical Association, it just came out this summer, uh, kind of issued a warning about these, these health uh, effects, especially as it relates to uh, blue light. 
And well, can we explain? Can you say a little bit about the difference between blue light and I don't people probably largely except for you know we have these lovely like purple lights on stage right now. But I mean, normally uh -huh. people think, oh, light is light. What's what? Why do we care if it's blue or yellow or red or? Yeah, light is light is a spectrum. We don't we don't see all the colors, but um, the the big problem is that. Uh, blue, the blue part of the spectrum is the part that is important to us during the day. We need that for health. We don't need to see it at night. And, and unfortunately, we're seeing more and more of this blue light in our computer screens, our phones, uh, and then in street lights with the uh, new uh, LED lighting. And blue light, it, it, have we seen that it actually disrupts people more so than other colors of light? Well, they're most, they are more concerned about the blue light because if you think of it as sort of the blue part of the spectrum is the part that really tells us to wake up. It's what, we, what floods, the, floods the daylight um, and tells us to wake up. But it's a good question uh, because really the problem is just we're using too much light in general not just too much blue light. So uh, I want to get into a little bit about some of the larger public policy implications of this. But in your book, you, you talk about some really interesting folks who mm -hmm. work night shifts and, and things like that. So I was wondering if you could, uh, so I wrote that, uh, can you tell us about like Annie the Witch like a little bit uh, <laughs> and what's her story? <laughs> oh gosh. So uh, Annie is a really uh, fascinating, wonderful woman who lives on the island of Sark in the uh, English Channel. Uh, Sark is a designated dark sky island, uh, so they have no um, artificial lights at night, or the ones they have are very shielded. So who designated them that way? Is yeah. there a national light or international light commission or like there is an lantern society? <laughs> There's uh, an organization called the International Dark Sky Organization. Uh, and they designate various areas, um, dark sky communities or cities or, in this case, island. Do they have an army? Like, how do they... <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out, like, could they come here and they could be like, Minneapolis, you are now a dark sky <laughs> society. Prepare. You know, it's interesting. They, they actually... I like how you didn't deny that maybe <laughs> they do have an army. Uh, well, it's an army of six. So okay. it's, it's, uh, not a, it's not a, a big army. So anyway, you were saying um, that they that they have designated the island of Sart mm -hmm. uh, as a dark sky community. Yep, yep. And Annie the witch lives on Sart, which is the beginning of like some sort of like creative nonfiction that I was <laughs> writing. So, yeah, I mean it was a it was a it's a good story in the book. It's uh, she lives alone on, on the island of Sark, and she was you know. Wait, she lives alone on the entire island. <laughs> It's no, easy it's to declare a place like a dark place if nobody lives there. She doesn't have roommates. Okay. She, she, yeah. Oh, but she's not the whole right, island, right. just her apartment. It's a, a small community. Um, okay. But yeah, she does interesting things. She does, uh, you know, night gardening, and there's like clothing optional, uh, a lot of clothing optional to parts of her story. So. <laughs> But who know what? How would you even know if it's dark all the time? Well, the moon is out, you know. So yeah. Okay. So night gardening. <laughs> what is night gardening? I'm sorry. <laughs> just make something up. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know what she does out there. I, she just she told me. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So uh, so any uh, the other one that I have uh, is it Mark uh, Batman is uh, uh, the. Oh, the the guy who is the bat guy. Yeah, the bat guy. <laughs> um, I call him Batman, but the bat guy works right, too. Exactly, uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. So there's um, I'm, I'm forgetting his name now, but the um, he's he started Bat Conservation International and has worked all his life to uh, teach us that bats are uh, really beneficial to human beings in addition to having their own worth, of course, and uh, that our you know fear of them is unfounded and that that kind of thing. He's really done amazing work to kind of raise the awareness of. Uh, how important these animals are. And so that brings up an interesting question, which is, you know, we've talked about some of the health effects potentially of lights, but do we also have some, what, what it does to the natural environment and to uh, other things? Yeah, and this is, uh, you know, I have to say this is kind of what motivated me to write the book and is that uh, the natural environment is really impacted by artificial light. Um, Everything on Earth evolved with bright days, which we need light, but we need darkness as well. And so 60% uh, of invertebrate species, for example, insects are nocturnal. 30% of vertebrate species are nocturnal. And so many others are what we call crepuscular. They're most active at dawn and dusk. And so when we uh, shine our light into their habitat, it essentially destroys that habitat. Wow. Uh, so are we starting to see, uh, I guess, effects of that then, like in places that have sort of constant light? Like, are, you know, uh, do we see that that is actually causing problems for not only the people, but the animals and creatures that live there? Yeah, for sure. I think the, uh, the most well-known or well-studied examples are birds. Uh, we have more than 400 species of birds that migrate at night in North America. Um, almost all the songbirds migrate at night. Uh, they're drawn off course by our lights. Uh, a lot of the birds that fly into windows during the day were actually drawn into the city at night by the lights. Um, and then sea turtles is another one, turtles that have evolved for you know hundreds of millions of years to come onto shore, lay their eggs. The little guys come up and scurry toward the brightest light on the horizon, which most of the time was the moon and the stars, mm -hmm. and now it's the condominiums and the, and the street lights and the hotels. I so I have to just I grew up in South Florida and I for the rest of my life I will believe that the greatest thing I've ever done is that I found a baby sea turtle once yeah. and I and it was in the middle of the day and I put it it was going the wrong way and I picked it Good up job. and put it back Good in job. the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I assume that it was it was yeah. not I assume it was not ever eaten by a shark, uh, no, no. and it is it is that, living a long and healthy that life. That one survived. Yeah, that yeah. one survived. Yeah, good. That's good. Yeah. So, um, so I okay. So you've uh, we've made a case. You've made a case about uh, artificial light is a problem for health effects for people for the natural environment. But uh, you know we we live in the 21st century. Like we uh, we don't want to walk around in complete darkness and uh, I assume just like you know as soon as the lights go out then just you will be mugged like that must happen <laughs> instantly um, and yeah and everything bad happens basically in the dark the the Babadook will come out um, so yeah yeah so uh, so I don't know why no, do you want us all to be mugged right no it's it's you know it's the question that comes up right away is that you know we're all going to get mugged, and this is we need all this light for safety and security. Uh, and again, nobody's saying let's not have lights. What we are saying is let's use lights thoughtfully and intelligently, responsibly. One big thing that we could do is just make sure all our lights are focused downward rather than you know, up into the sky or shining into our eyes. We have a big problem with glare, kind of like what we're seeing here, where you know, if light is shining into your eye... Is this horrible for you, by the way? I like, are you like... <laughs> is this like your worst nightmare, right, what we're doing? 
every place I go and talk, it's like this. It's so, your yeah. worst night. Yeah. Whoa, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Um, I mean, the light. The light. Yeah. So you can't, uh, we can't we see We could anything. turn off all the lights, like, in the hall, and just do the show in the dark. Candle like, light. Okay, right. so. There it is. So you were saying. There it is. Um, Where'd the microphone go? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. This is, yeah, thank yeah. you, Bob. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So you have said that there might be a chance that uh, will never that there will be a generation of children who never see the Milky Way. Yeah, the, uh, the estimates are now in the states that eight of ten kids born today will never live where they can see the Milky Way. And so again, if you're, you know, younger than thirty or forty, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's because it's, it's like that at night. But if you're older than that, you lived in cities where you could see the Milky Way at night. I mean, it, it just, it, and it was not that long ago. When, I mean, when it was, the, were people constantly like bumping into stuff or like just, uh, just I mean, uh, it seems like we put up these lights for a reason, right? Well, we're, we're putting up, sure. I mean, like I said, lighting is good. We, we want lighting, but we don't need any lighting that's going up into the sky or into our eyes. And I think what's happened is with more and more people, more and more lights, and everybody um, thinks that we, because some light makes us, helps us be a little safer, that ever more light will make us ever safer. So we just, uh, gas, gas stations are a great example of, um, gas stations and parking lots are lit about 10 times as brightly as they were 20 years ago. So 20 years yeah. ago, yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit then uh, before we turn it over to our cast about uh, what should cities or um, places be doing? So if they they're not going to just sort of like go around with a chainsaw and like saw down all the lamp posts, right? As much as we would love to see that, I'm sure, right? That's what you're advocating. But um, <laughs> but uh, so if they're not going to do that, I, what should they do? Well, we have a really great opportunity right now because uh, cities everywhere, including the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, are switching over to LEDs. They're, we're switching from, uh, like we went from oil to gas to electric lighting, now we're switching to electronic lighting. Most and light-emitting diodes are LEDs, and so all the street lights in Minneapolis will be switched over. But aren't LEDs the horrible blue lights that will make it so we never sleep, like the girl from the ring? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, they can be. The, the technology is improving all the time, and what we want to see is, um, uh, to be a little wonky, the, the, uh, the lights that a lot of cities around the country have installed are, have a color temperature of 4,500 or 4,000. Uh, that's in the blue light range, and what we'd like to see is lights in the 3,000 or 3,200 range, which is more of a, an amber-orange uh, light rather than the blue light. And so we have a real choice here in the Twin Cities uh, to, to, because they've started installing uh, the LEDs, but it's going to come out over the next few years. And talking with the city today, the guy was saying, you know, uh, over the next two or three years uh, is really when they're going to make the decisions about what kind of light to have in the city. And is it just the actual uh, type of light, or is there something about uh, the way that the actual lamp posts are structured, because people might notice as they're driving around, there's very or biking around, there's very different types of light uh, posts that that are around. Does that matter? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the the basic concept again is that you just want light shining straight down. You don't want it shining in your eyes horizontally or or up into the sky. 
Um, we have a we have a term that we often talk about to kind of raise people's awareness of light pollution, which is light trespass, which is the light that shines from one property onto another property. Oftentimes it means it shines into your bedroom or into your dining room, that kind of night. People, people have that experience everywhere of, of other people's lights shining into their house. And that's, you know, that's light pollution. And that's partially because of the way light fixtures are actually built. Exactly. And, you know, one of the couple surprising things, when you see fixtures, most of the fixtures that you see were actually designed for uh, gas lighting. And gas lighting is much, much dimmer than electric lighting. So what they did is they kept the fixtures, took out the gas, and then put in this intense, intense electric light. And that's why we have this problem. Um, some of the fixtures you're seeing around the city now uh, take that certain design, but they'll put the LED lamp up into the fixture and remove the glass. So the the light just goes straight down and it do doesn't bounce around at all and go in different directions. Well, uh, again, we're going to bring uh, Mr. Bogard back up in the second half of the show to answer your questions. But for right now, can we do a big round of applause, <laughs> Mr. Paul Bogard? Okay. If you have a question, uh, please raise your hand and I will. Oh, yes, perfect. All the way. This works out very well because I can come to the back and get those questions and then make my way forward. Um, and look at all this track lighting so I don't trip. Good, here. <laughs> Hi, thanks. With, with the LEDs, is the only safety issue the color of the LED? And then also I've heard many years ago that it's not good to be under fluorescent lights too much because there is like this, like a cycling effect. Uh, and, and the, the first, um, the... <laughs> The, the fluorescent one, I think the fluorescents are fading out. I don't think that's going to be a, a big issue. I don't, I don't write about that too much in the book. Um, the, the LEDs, uh, what was the, I'm sorry, what was the question? For the LEDs, is the only issue the color of the LED? The, the, like I, I buy 2700. Right. Uh, that is the main issue in terms of health. The other thing with the LEDs is that um, the reason that we're using them is that they're so efficient. Um, we say you save an instant sort of 30% on on energy uh, costs and that kind of thing, um, but we have a way of taking that efficiency and just kind of using it up by making it everything brighter. So, um, in addition to the color, one of the big dangers with LEDs is that we will just kind of make everything worse. All the light pollution will just become worse because we're just using more light. Uh, one of the other things I've I've heard and I've actually noticed about LED lights is that they seem to have a sort of sharper cutoff point uh, than maybe um, not, flu not fluorescent, but some mm -hmm. uh, other street lights or whatnot. That you know, it's sort of like there's light, 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 and then all of a sudden darkness. Like very quickly, it goes from one to the other, and almost like it's, there's a curtain that falls. Uh, is that something that is uh, specific to LEDs, or is that something that's fixable with technology? Does that matter? Yeah, I think that's a result of the the light being directed straight down. That's what you're seeing. So you're um, you're going when you're driving along the highway. If you see a, a lot of the new LED street lights, you're going to be under really intense light, and then it it's not, and then really intense light, and then it's not, kind of thing. I would say with all of this stuff too, the technology is evolving very rapidly. Uh, one of the the big things that I'm talking a lot about these days is just kind of the potential of all the things that we can do and how we can use this new technology to light our nights in more thoughtful, intelligent ways. So. Yeah. 
Uh, Josh, yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I've noticed about the, the streetlights, uh, especially uh, as I get up to Crosstown uh, Hiawatha exit, and it now seems that the, 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 the exit lights are about 15 feet above the exit rather than, you know, probably 25, 30 feet on the highway. And I remember driving, and I'm like, God, but I'm not going to. But then I was also complaining that they were so low, but I guess it would make more sense not to, to spill that light. Is that a new norm? So just for our podcast audience, uh, so the question is about uh, the the actual height of the lights, uh, right? Too damn low. Are they too, are they too, are the lights over our highways too damn low, uh, to phrase it politely? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know for sure. I mean, I, that they may be trying to uh, contain a lot of the spill that the higher lights would shed out in, you know, off the highway where we don't need it. I mean, if you drive down a highway and you, uh, unfortunately, you see a lot of the streetlights, um, the the highway will be lit, but so will all the the it'll spill out into the ground as well on the other sides of the highway where we don't need it. So maybe they're trying to get away from that by bringing the lights closer to the to the road. Okay, we had one right up here. It's my understanding that motion sensor lights are safer than having uh, a constant level of bright light. Is that true? They're, I think they're safer in the sense that uh, one of the things that happens when we have uh, light everywhere and, and it gets brighter all the time is that we have the illusion that everything is safe and secure. So we don't pay attention to where we're going. We don't, we don't notice anybody who shouldn't be where they shouldn't be kind of thing. Motion sensors, um, by uh, kind of turning the light on, draw your attention. And so they can be safer that way. Um, in terms of the actual bulb, uh, the, the lights, they could be safer because they're not on as long as other things, so you wouldn't be uh, as exposed to them. But I think the former is probably what I'm thinking of more. All right, we had one right here. So I moved out of Alaska not that long ago. I'm just curious if you have done studies up there because the light is all sorts of different, and I feel like the further north you get, it's pretty dark. So would that be one of the darkest places? I'm just kind of curious on Alaska in general. Yeah, Alaska. I mean, there's a lot of places where there aren't uh, too many people, so it's going to be it's going to be darker, which is which is awesome. Uh, but Anchorage actually is one of the cities that is quite progressive in their lighting. They're trying to uh, use LEDs in a in a new way to reduce the cost uh, of lighting, re uh, increase the efficiency, all those things that we've we've talked about the potential of LEDs. So Anchorage of all places. So uh, can you say maybe a little bit? Just I have a bunch more questions, but. Uh, who else is being progressive about this? Who, where are the leaders sort of on the stuff that you're advocating? Well, in terms of the technology stuff, I would say uh, cities in Europe are really leading. Uh, Copenhagen is pretty incredible about some of the things they're doing there with uh, putting lights in the roads for uh, bike pathways and that kind of thing. And uh, Paris, uh, the city of light, um, they, uh, I spent time with a guy who designed the new lighting program in Paris where he was given the task of... Uh, of uh, Providing light, all the light that we've come used to um, with Paris, but lowering the uh, the cost by 30%. So they're doing things like uh, turning the lights on a little bit later uh, at night and turning them off a little bit earlier. Uh, they're using uh, studies about where people actually are in the city at night and saying, well, you know, where people are, we can light that. If there's nobody there, we don't need to light that. Just using uh, a lot more thought about how we're lighting rather than just have one level of light everywhere all night long. All right, we, right here, and then, yep, I'll come that way. Thank you. Um, 
until a couple of years ago, we lived about 60 miles south of here on a lake in the middle of nowhere. And every night was, on a clear night was full of awe. Is anyone study? I mean, it was just sometimes you had to go inside because it was too, too overwhelming. Really, I'm yeah. serious. Yeah. Maybe after a few drinks, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm but I'm wondering if anyone has done studies on the lack of this experience in our human condition. Um, you, I think you alluded to it in your earlier period, but I'm I'm kind of worried about this that no one gets to experience that that sense of the metaphysical the metaphysical the yeah. anyway. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the costs of light pollution, and I talked about human health, and we talked about environmental health. Uh, we talked a little bit about safety. We should note that we waste worldwide $100, $100 billion worldwide on out, outdoor lighting at night, just sending it into the sky. Uh, it, that means carbon emissions. That means wasted energy and all that. But then there is this whole other side to this issue, which are the intangible costs. You know, what do we lose? Um, we've taken what was once one of the most common human experiences, which is walking out the door and coming face to face with the universe. And we've made it one of the most rare human experiences. We almost never have that experience of, of walking outside and just being overwhelmed, or as you said, filled with awe at what we see. We've been, we were cut off from what was the source for all of human history of religion and philosophy and science and art. Um, you just have to start thinking about um, you know, all the, all the young Van Goghs out there who aren't being inspired, for example. So yeah, it's a very, it's a real serious issue. Um, it, it, it's hard to talk about when people just say, yeah, but we need all these lights for safety and security. You know, if we can't get past that idea that let's have some, let's have the light that we need and not more than that. Um, but yeah, that's one of the motivations for the book is just this experience that I had at a, as a kid in Northern Minnesota of, the Milky Way from horizon to horizon and, and the sounds and the scents and just nighttime being so rich and beautiful. Uh, great. Uh, did you have a question up here? Yeah. Uh, Ely, Minnesota is right on the border of the Boundary Waters and probably one of the reasons that Boundary Waters is a two instead of a one. Um, what kind of strategies could uh, Ely employ and are there any models or policy frameworks that they could think about instituting? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> Ely is a great example of a, of a small town uh, that has the same philosophy of lighting as big cities, which is let's blast light everywhere. Um, it seems like a real shame when these small towns, they really don't need, well, nobody needs to do it, but in a, especially in a small town, it would, be, it would be much easier to just have the light, again, focused down, not have any light going um, up into the sky. You could have what's called a lighting ordinance that uh, everybody would follow in terms of what kind of lights they could have on their businesses, uh, the hours they could use them. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for places. Once people become aware of the issue and all the costs, it becomes a real win-win issue. If we control the light, we save money, we increase safety, um, we actually make a place like Ely or any place uh, more attractive at night. There's nothing attractive about glaring light that's you know shining into your eyes and shining into the sky. So, um. hello. So, um, twenty some years ago, I lived in Tucson, and I was just there last month. 
And I thought of you as I, I drove on some of the secondary streets and thought, oh, right, it's dark. And on some of the major arteries, couldn't see the street signs. Now, 20-some years ago when I was there, the, the local lore was that they intentionally kept the lighting down because of all the astronomers in the area. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, relative to <coughs> comparable-sized cities, is it actually darker? And if you know if that's actually the explanation. Hmm. Yeah, it, it is the explanation, actually. Uh, so there are um, world-class observatories in Arizona, uh, Tucson, a uh, city of a million people, um, actually, if you go there, the lights are much lower, the lighting level. The, the lights are shielded. Uh, it's for that reason. Flagstaff is another great example of a city that is uh, originally because of Lowell Observatory. The lights are controlled there. Uh, <laughs> I was talking, when I was talking with the, uh, uh, the Minneapolis city official today about lighting here, he said, we were talking about gas stations, and he said, you know, uh, gas stations here are so bright. He said, I, I never knew I had to see my gas pump so brightly, you know. And uh, when you go to a place like Flagstaff, for example, or Tucson, the gas stations are not as bright. They're, they're dimmer, but you get out of your car, you can see everything you need to see, and there's no, level, uh, no higher level of crime, right? So these lighting gas stations has everything to do with bringing people in to buy stuff. That's why they're so bright. Um, it, it really has nothing to do with crime. Um, Does that work? Like to just have bright lights and people are like, oh, I got to get a Kit Kat bar. Essentially, <laughs> essentially, that's what they've found. They've found, and what, you, what happens is that you'll have uh, lighting wars in a way between different gas stations that one will get brighter and then the other one will think, man, we got to get brighter. And so they'll get brighter and it just kind of uh, escalates. So. Okay, we had a question right here. Yeah. I've heard that the Luxor Hotel light goes out into outer space. Can you comment about that? What's the purpose of it? <laughs> sure. Uh, Luxor Hotel, in case folks aren't aware. Or? Yeah, in Las Vegas, the Luxor is a is a, a pyramid, and uh, they have it's um, the brightest. Well, it's 36 different lamps that together form the brightest beam on the planet. You can see it from space. Um, one of the the craziest things is that. The light is so intense it draws birds and bats and insects from the desert uh, in um, toward it. Uh, you can see them swirling around the light. Uh, Las Vegas is, uh, some people would say, the the poster child for light pollution. Of course, it's 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 pretty bad. So uh, you've talked a little bit about things some places are doing and uh, sort of g some general strategies. But you know, folks here, if they if they're convinced mm. that this is a problem, a uh, what uh, what should they be doing themselves, sort of, uh, as individuals, but then also if a place like Minneapolis or other cities that folks are from are thinking about uh, what they're going to be doing over the next two to ten years, uh, what should they be advocating that their cities do? Mm -hmm. So individual and sort of city level. Yeah, on the individual level, uh, you know, if you own a house and you can you control your lighting, you can buy fixtures that are they're commonly referred to as dark sky fixtures. Essentially, they just direct the lighting downward rather than into your visitor's face as they walk toward the house. Um, I was at Home Depot fairly recently and was happy to see a half dozen. They have a half dozen of those lights. Um, they also have 85 uh, lights that weren't that way, so they're you know going to be adding to the problem. Uh, Lowe's has something called good neighbor lighting, uh, which essentially follows a lot of the things I've been talking about tonight, um, keeping the light trespass cut down. Uh, 
I think Minneapolis has uh, an incredible opportunity to really be a leader uh, in the country. Uh, we could be more progressive than we are. We're falling behind uh, other cities right now in terms of lighting, uh, in my opinion. Um, I, it's, this is my hometown. Uh, this is, I'd like to see Minneapolis be the leader. We could, um, look, if you go to Paris, um, it's lit the way it's lit because over the last 30 years, they've relit the entire city to create the effect of be a beautiful nocturnal atmosphere. Um, and so it's that kind of thinking about light. I think the thinking needs to change and not that let's just blast light everywhere because we need to be safe and just start thinking like, let's have the light we need. Let's have beautiful, thoughtful, good neighbor lighting. And uh, we could really be truly progressive when it comes to lighting. Ladies and gentlemen, on that amazing note, a big round of applause, <laughs> Mr. Paul Bogart. Yes. Oh. Thank you for listening. Our show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to see us in person, you can find our schedule by going to www.t2p2.net or find us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks.